Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 111, your weekly podcast about everything Magic the Gathering related. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, mtggoldfish.com, and now on YouTube. Joining me, as always, the owner of MTG Gold, Richard. How are you? Hey, Chaz. What's going on? It's going well. Seth, probably better known as Safranov, is also Jank Brewer and content creator for Magic the Gathering. What's up, Seth? What's going on, guys? What is up? And Chaz, as always, uh, all-around content creator for Magic the Gathering. Uh, on the docket this week, Modern Masters 2017 is in the books. We have the entire spoiler. We're going to talk about it. I'm I'm so excited. I'm just, like, bouncing off the walls. I've never seen Seth so excited about a release, I, I, I think, I don't know, maybe in, like, 30 episodes, so... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, There is a ban and restricted announcement coming up next Monday, so we are going to talk about that. Um, Just general predictions, and we're going to discuss, you know, what may happen. And then the uh, mocks, which we will also talk about the uh, MTGO Online Championship. Um, Seth, you watched a lot lot of it and talked about it a lot, so we're going to cover that as well. Um, So let's just jump right in. Modern Masters 2017. We'll start with you, Richard. All right, so we basically got the kitchen sink thrown at us this week. You know, last week, Seth made the comment, is Wizards cashing in? And that was on day one of spoilers. And boy, did we get a lot more. We got Tarmogoyf, Liliana the Veil, Snapcaster Mage, Voice of Resurgence, Cavern of Souls, uh, Blood Moon, Damnation, Enemy Fetchlands. And, uh, you know, even when you go down to the rares and the uncommons, it's just jam-packed of either modern staples or commander staples or just all around good cards. So booster box prices kind of went from 180 to 220 and uh, people are just going nuts over the set. Possibly the best set ever in terms of hype. And uh, it's got damnation in it, so I'm happy. I can finally buy that stupid four mana <laughs> wrath to play in modern and not feel bad about it. <laughs> but... <laughs> I like the set. I don't, there's not much more to say about that. I, I couldn't care any less about Limited. I don't care how it drafts. It could draft like a pile of turd and it'll be perfectly fine. We have all of the cards we've ever wanted. <laughs> and yeah, there, there's some notable exclusions like Kitchen Finks would have been nice. Right. Uh, Bobble would have been nice, but it, it was probably the rise of Bobble was too soon to this, uh, for this release. Um, Chalice of the Void's going crazy, Karn Liberated's going crazy, so basically anything that wasn't reprinted in Modern Masters, uh, is now unaffordable. <laughs> it's just going straight through the roof. Bobble is crazy, uncommon card, and, uh, yeah. it's just as expensive as Tarmogoyf in, uh, certain locales, so that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> I, I was sent yeah. a picture of that on my Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah, it's that cold snap, man. <laughs> Seth! What do you think? I, like I said, I, I, I kind of hyped everyone up for your uh, your response because I, I, I got to say this is like the most excited I've ever seen you. The set does <laughs> look super awesome. I'm definitely excited for it. This is set that I didn't think Wizards had it in them to print. Like just based on the master sets we've seen in the past, I really didn't expect this uh, sort of just pulling out all the stops and just being like, all right, here you go. Every card you really want. And with uh, Richard mentioned, there's a couple that didn't show up, but it is essentially like, all the cards that people have been asking for all at the same set, which is even better because uh, they're kind of fighting each other for value, which is decreasing the prices even more than if you just had a few of these expensive cards in the set. So I'm super excited. I think this is just a great thing for modern in general. It's going to make building tier decks less expensive, even with the price spikes we've seen. I think Overall, the the typical modern deck is going to cost less now than it did a few months ago, and it's a great thing for uh, more budget-conscious players as well, because there's so many rares that were oddly expensive, uh, Restorations Angels, Ranger of Eoses, things like that that aren't like super high-end, but when you got to spend $8 a copy on a card like that, that eats up a lot of your limited budget, when at $2 a copy, $3 a copy your money goes a lot further. So I'm just excited in general. I think it's great for everyone. I'm hopeful that limited is going to be good as well, but I think even if limited is not as great as some of the past master sets, it's still just a success all around because of the cards in it. Yeah. I I think, I mean, I sent out a tweet before we started seeing the full 
And I think people were just kind of in the mindset that they wanted it to be bad to kind of like confirm their own whatever preconceived notion that it will be bad because Modern Masters 2015. Well, what I'm seeing here is that Wizards, you know, contrary to popular belief, does listen to the players. And, you know, here here's a really successful Modern Masters set. And I do think... Uh, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but I do think this is kind of the formula going forward. They want to give us the cards that they want. Yeah, there's a few stinkers in there. Obviously, you don't want to see, like, Sever the Bloodline at Rare, like, Mizzy and Mort- Like, You don't want to see some of these cards when you open a pack. But generally, overall, I'm seeing a huge success, like, on every, first of all, every rarity. Some of the, the uh, rarity shifted cards are kind of astonishing to me and really well done. Um, I know, like, Seth, you kind of are into Popper a little more than I am, but uh, there's obviously some implications there with some of these cards shifted down. But I think overall, we kind of got what we asked for. There's a lot of playables here. There's not a lot of times where you're opening a pack and you're really disappointed because, again, while you may open a rare that's not really awesome, there's a ton of uncommons and even commons now that are worthwhile to open up. And again, I'm just, I'm blown away. Uh, I'm really happy that they decided to go kind of all out. And I, I think it's going to be a really successful set. Uh, I just, the one thing I don't know that we keep hearing about is the supply. Um, from what I can gather, there's a good amount of it out there. So as long as the supply is large enough, I, I think um, the cost reduction overall on modern uh, will come down. And yeah, we're going to have a couple spikes here and there. That usually always happens every Modern Masters release. But the the overall drop on all these cards will outweigh the few cards that spike. So that's just my initial take. I, I think it's going to be a huge success. So what are your opinions on the mythic upshift? So Snapcaster Mage was the first upshift we saw. And it was unique because previously all of the other upshifts we saw into rarity, uh, into mythic, like Tarmogoyf, they were the pre-mythic era. Whereas Snapcaster Mage, we had mythics in Innistrad. It was a rare uh, bumped up to mythic. Same with Cavern of Souls. Uh, is this, you know, wizards acknowledging the secondary market, but not acknowledging the secondary market? Or do you really believe their, uh, you know, explanation of excitement and spreading excitement through the rarities and, uh, Snapcaster yeah. <laughs> is worthy of being a mythic? I think it's a little bit of, I, I think, cause, cause like you said, I mean, I, I can honestly care less if it drags a pile of you know what, but it's, it's kind of a little bit of both. They have to, like, obviously show that they are building with limited in mind. Uh, but I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, you know, they, they have to show that, like, this card is, or at least should have been, like, a mythic. Because there was that weird thing, like, I don't know, I've, I've heard, I can't remember the exact article, but somehow, like, Snapcaster was changed later on in, in, um, in development. And it probably should have been a mythic, to be honest with you. I think initially Snapcaster did not have flash. It was, right, uh, you right. had to play it at sorcery speed. So it did get a lot better. I think clearly this is based on the secondary market. We've seen this in past master sets and it is true. You have the justification in past sets where you could say, well, uh, we didn't have mythics back when dark confidant was a thing, but dark confidant honestly is not that overpowered and limited. It's not that good because it's hard to build a deck with a curve that can support it and you just kill yourself. So I think we've seen this before where expensive cards tend to be mythics. You could say the same thing about Tarmogoyf. Like it's really not that great and limited. Uh, it's fine, but we've seen this before. However, in these two specific cases, it doesn't bother me that much because I think if Snapcaster or Cavern of Souls was printed in a standard legal set where the price isn't going to be a concern, knowing what we know now with five years of play behind these cards, I think they would be mythics based on power level. So I think they were under raritied the first yeah. time around. But but you're so you're leaning more to what reading between the lines in so many ways is, you know, talking about the secondary market. Like, they, they're acknowledging it without actually saying it, obviously. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that the secondary market is a big consideration, but it doesn't especially bother me in this instance. Yeah, I don't know what to make of this. I mean, Cavern of Souls is questionable. Like, Snapcaster, you, you know, you can say it's mythic and it'll, it'll break limited, but Cavern of Souls does basically nothing in limited. But Wizards also gave us Damnation and Blood Moon. You know, they easily could have shifted those up to Mythic, and we we would have bought it, but they didn't. 
So it's not clear to me what they're doing. So maybe there is some rationale behind gameplay and keeping cards at rare doesn't necessarily tank the price. Look at Noble Hierarch. Still ridiculously expensive, even though it was a rare in the last Modern Master set. So, so I don't know what this means, but it does set the precedent that they will shift rarity even in the newer sets. And I don't know what they're doing because Damnation could have been mythic and everyone would have been fine with that. So they, they threw us a bone on some of those. And then for other cards like Snapcaster, they decided, uh, he was flashy enough. I mean, I guess he's on the box. So he has like elite status. So, uh, they can, they might as well make him mythic. So now that we have seen the whole set, are you any more convinced in my wizards is cashing out modern theory than you were a week ago? Yeah, actually, I was going to bring that up because the, the this is like a growing narrative that somehow they're like this. They pulled out all the stops for this and then they're going to like not going to not do this anymore or not or at least for some time. Like there may not be they may skip 2019 for Modern Masters. I'm not I'm not giving any credence to it. I just think people are kind of in disbelief that they can actually make a good set, which is kind of absurd. I think this is the new norm. They they cannot go right. back and print bad cards in the next Modern Masters. It has to be comparable to this. So I, I believe this is their new reprint policy. And I was actually quite shocked that I haven't seen more outrage about people losing like half the value of their collection overnight. Like everyone seems enamored with, yeah, you know, cheap staples, let's go. But basically, if you owned a large modern collection, you know, your, your collection just tanked. And we didn't see any of those posts, uh, which leads to the next question of, can we get rid of the reserve list? Will people complain then? But I, I was actually surprised that b- basically universally, everyone likes this. Uh, I expected a few more grumpy people with big collections and uh, stores, especially getting hit hard with basically having their inventory halved or uh, a thirded overnight. So that, that's quite interesting. So maybe Magic is ready for aggressive reprints, and maybe that's where we're going. Uh, no, you know, we're not going to wait ten years for a reprint. Now, you know, as soon as something spikes, reprint it in the next supplemental product. I'm good with it, and and quite frankly, I've I've talked to that people should be good with reprints. I mean, how how much easier is it, at least from a store's perspective? I mean, I understand some players may not uh, like it, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's easier for other people to play the format that you have the cards for, so you're getting value out of the cards, even if it's not monetary. But for a store, how much easier is it to sell $50 Tarmogoyves or $150 Tarmogoyves, right? So I, I think it's a win all around. I don't know that's a win all around. Like, it's it's definitely a win for new players and people trying right. to build new decks. But if you're an enfranchised player, it's probably a loss for you. And you're relying on the fact that there's more people playing to offset that. Because, like, even if you sell two Tarmogoyce at 50 bucks, if you bought them when they were 150 you lost $100 just right there, right? So even though you're selling more stuff in your store, you didn't really make money, which is part of the, the problem. If you're holding a big stock of old cards, you know, anytime there's a reprint, you, you're at risk of just losing basically half your inventory. It's, it's almost the same as if someone just robbed like half your store. So that, that makes running an LGS a very <laughs> dicey proposition, right? Like, yeah, but again, you're, you're making that up. I mean, you're, you're selling boxes, you're selling a bunch more singles. And if you were a store buying up Tarmogoyf, I mean, you're basically buying them on a discount anyway. So you're not losing as much as really you think. No, you lose the same amount. I, I, this is you what I don't agree. Amount, we, yeah. we need a store owner to come in here <laughs> to see if they yeah, actually we... like these reprints. Cause as long as the, the audience is growing like exponentially, you're good, right? Because the new sales are outstripping your loss in cards. But if the base is the same or just growing, you know, at a slow rate, then I'm pretty sure you're just losing a ton of money. I mean, the the other thing to consider, though, is from the perspective of a big vendor, you also get to cash in on the set itself. You buy a bunch of uh, Modern Masters 2017 boxes at wholesale, sell them for $220, $240. You're making $50, $70 a box. So that kind of outweighs some of the damage, I think. So maybe from a big picture perspective, it doesn't hurt the vendors that much because they get to profit off of the set, even without considering singles. But it definitely could be more punishing to players with big collections, I think, because you don't get to buy boxes at wholesale and then sell them at a huge profit. 
Yeah, I think for the but again, for the players, I mean, I think Rich from that specific aspect, I'm with more likely to like the reprints or not cuz I'm with you said they they get to kind of profit doubly and we're not we didn't even talk about the singles. Like they get to just sell boxes. For a player, I'm with Richard. It it does kind of suck that when, you know, you you've shelled out $600 or something like that uh for Tarmogoyfs and then you turn around and you could buy it for half that. That does hurt. But for newer players, it's it's a huge boon. So there's kind of that trade-off there. And honestly, I think at this point, there's probably a larger percentage of people benefiting than the smaller percentage that are sitting on like Tarmogoyfs. Pretty interesting. Yeah. I if if you're yeah. an LGS owner, leave a comment. Because I'm actually really curious how how it actually plays out, whether the most successful set of all time is actually a negative or positive, or maybe it's just neutral. Uh, so I'm actually really curious. So uh, I guess if you run a local gaming store, just uh, leave a comment as you know, with your experience of these uh, kind of reprint sets, like all these master series sets. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think about, uh, do you like a lot of the downshifted rarities uh, in this one? I thought it was actually really well done. You know, you have oh, IOK back down to an uncle. Yeah, Obzidak just got slapped in the rare. face. He was so yeah. badass and awesome. And now he's just a rare. I mean, so I was like, what? Does, does that make you less excited about a card, seeing it at a lower rarity? I, <laughs> no, I, I think but... so. Uh, something like common, uncommon and common, like who cares? That just affects Popper, which right. you know has an actual bigger impact. But from a lower perspective, like you're Obsidat, the Ghost Council, you're the Mythic, and then now you're just... <laughs> A lowly rare. You're not special anymore, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think it's more egregious. Like, not as that it's egregious. Obviously, I'm I'm cool with it, but I can I can stomach something like Falconrath Aristocrat just being a rare. And again, it's a success either way. But then you have so what makes Olivia Voldaren a mythic, but Obsidat the Ghost Council is a rare, and so is Niv Mazet Draco Genius. Like, are they? They're like lesser beings. Like, are they just not like? Yeah, I, I don't, dude. Nah, I, sorry, Nivmazet. You're a big like dragon, and you're you're whatever. But you know, you you don't count. There's <laughs> enough mana symbols and oracle texts, and it's a legendary creature, and they're pretty iconic. That I think they should be mythic. And I think this is a classic case of, you know, there there's X mythic slots. These guys aren't worth anything. Right. <laughs> just downshift them. Like, sorry, you're 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 a lesser. You're a lesser citizen of the multiverse because you don't hold the financial weight. <laughs> <laughs> like even Zer the Enchanter down to a, it's like sorry Zer. Well, Zer was from a pre-mythic set, I believe. But all right, but it's like it's one of those. I, I just kind of again like what it, all they're all legendary creatures. Like what makes Olivia Voldaren a mythic? I and none of the others these like legendary creatures. I, <laughs> I don't always buy this argument from Wizards, but I really think that Olivia is because of Limited, because right. that card is so absurd. It is. It is. Like, it is one of the best Limited cards you could open in this entire set. So yeah. I'm glad that, like Bonfire, if Bonfire was a rare, oh my god, that would be so <laughs> miserable for Limited. Like just Either way, out. I'm good with it. Like I could care less if they made Obsidata uncommon. Like I'm cool with it, but it's just kind of weird, because it's like you know, Obsidat's pretty good too in limited, so I don't know. It's just disrespected. I, you guys are playing commander, everyone whips out their mythic commander, <laughs> and then I'm like, ah, ah here's my, my rare commander. It's like but there's six a lot of people rare or something. There are a lot of rare commanders, let's be honest. Like Stonebrow, like come on, like he's <laughs> they, a big they, they were the pre mythic like, era. <laughs> yeah. Pre mythic era. I do really like the downshifts of rares to uncommon, though, because it it's part of what, for me, makes these master sets unique, especially in Limited, is when you make Goblin Assault in uh, Pyrewild Shamans and Gaia's Anthem and all these cards at uncommon, it just raises the overall power level of the set quite a bit, and it makes it a... It makes a limited environment feel a lot different. And honestly, those cards aren't that special anyway. Like, did you know what Pyre Wild Shaman was before it was reprinted? Like, does anyone remember that? So I think that I those do. Rare- <laughs> you would, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think that those rarity shifts are, are actually really good and help make the master sets unique and special. It wasn't in Time Spiral, so I know that. I, I actually know that. <laughs> I actually come at... I, you kind of—I know you like are more interested in the things for, but I come at it from more of like a humorous sense. Like, so you're telling me 
in Ravnica, Wayfaring Temple, you fed us all that it was a rare, but up against other like good modern cards, like this is down to what uncommon? Like what does that what so that's kind of where I'm coming at it from. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. just balancing the limited archetypes. Like, I don't know what's up with Inquisition. It started as uncommon. They just reprinted it at rare, and they decided it's good to get it uncommon. <laughs> so it, it must be something with kind of the archetypes they're trying to foster, and they're trying to, you know, balance the archetypes. Right. I, I just, for me, it's just funny, because, like, back in... So you're telling me in Alara, you thought this Sidrax's Spectre was good enough to be a rare, but when you put it up against other good modern cards, like, it, it's not that good? Like, so what were you doing? <laughs> That's kind of where I come at it from. It's just more funny to me. Dude, voice of Resurgence Again, over- should have been shifted to, to rare. <laughs> I, I think so. And put Obzadat. Like, how can voice be mythic, mythic, but Obzadat, like, just a lowly, ah. lowly rare. Money, <laughs> it's all about the money. Voice is like a $20 card, yeah, and it's it like two bucks. Ah. Obzadat like, sorry, needs to Obzadat, bring more cash with them. <laughs> Obzadat, you're now on the same level as Stoic Angel. Like, that's where you belong. <laughs> no, Stoic Angel's on the booster pack. Oh, Obzadat's my. not even there. Even He's not worse. an angel. <laughs> you're you're the skimmic sky flower <laughs> of the world now. <laughs> that's where you belong. Oh, man. that's whew. How does that card still remain a rare after all this time? That should be an uncommon. It makes sky swallower? Yeah, it's pretty good. How do you, how do you beat that? How do you, <laughs> you, how you know do you how many like six six sixes hexproof they've made <laughs> common like since then? But it flies and it has trample. Stupid serpents and like, come on, there has to be one. There's always one in every set. These big dumb blue like six six. Then they're they're usually common. They have like hexproof. Those ones oh, usually can't attack unless your opponent controls an <laughs> <Yeah>. island. <laughs> this oh, one yeah. is oh. flying trample shroud. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> All right, um, let's move on. Uh, I think we're all in agreement. Modern Masters 2017 was great. So we have a banned and restricted list coming uh, or announcement uh, coming next Monday. Do you sense any changes in either standard, modern, legacy? Um, Is this going to be a big announcement, you feel, or no changes? Richard? I predict nothing. Um, We're going to find out what Wizards intends to do with this extra BNR, you know, standard quote unquote sucks. But what are you like? What would you ban? Like everything, it's pretty balanced and stuff is happening. So I'd be very shocked if they messed with standard. But if they do, then we're we're coming into like mini rotation standard where every BNR something will happen. Kind of like the the modern pro tour where you know modern was probably okay, but because there's this BNR coming up, they're just gonna shake things up. So so that's what I'm looking for. I I don't think they need to ban anything. But if they do, I think that kind of sets the tone for these uh, mid-set bans for the future. Fair enough. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Uh, so no changes legacy, no changes modern. I don't think that that's what this is about. But I am expecting standard bannings again. I, I hate that I'm saying that, and I wish I wasn't expecting that. But I'm actually expecting an announcement somewhat similar to the last one, which someone I, I mentioned this on Twitter and someone said this is actually really bad if they ban stuff because they're they wouldn't be banning cards that are too powerful they'd be trying to ban things to make up for designing a bad format essentially or a format that's stale which is is a little scary but I think that that might be what happens and that we see like Felidaire Guardian get banned I think that's the card I feel like Wizards will ban and then I think Wizards will feel like, well, for banning Felidaire Guardian, <laughs> we have to ban a green black card and a Mardu card too. So we'll no. end up with like a card from each band. A good old reflective age clause here. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what I think is going to happen. That's just my prediction. I don't know if I hope that that happens. I would like Standard to be a little more exciting to watch. And I think that Felidaire Guardian really keeps a lot of interesting decks out of the format because you even if it's not the best deck in the format you always have this lurking over your head that if you're not doing something that's uh, quite as good as winning on turn four then you might as well not play paradox engine or etherflux or any of right. these other combo decks that are available because you're just doing it wrong if you're not winning on turn four and you're winning on turn five instead and there's actually more credence to that and the the kind of the data has been you know, building up now since the pro tour that 
you know, I'm, I'm reading a lot of these articles that four color Sahili is actually the way to go now to combat all these new decks. So we're kind of right back to where we started, right? And we didn't, we, di- I think we discussed even on cast that, yeah, Mike, it might look good at the Pro Tour. And now, uh, you know, there was like a GP after that. But I think we're kind of getting back to the status quo where everyone's packing the Sahili combo. And, you know, it just needed another variation to fight off all these other, you know, all these other decks that have come up. So scale of one to 10, how bad is it for consumer confidence? If we get, let's say they do go to the extreme and ban one card from each of the top three decks for the second time in the last, what, two months, three months. How bad is that for consumer confidence in buying standard, playing standard and magic in general? I would say bad if they didn't openly admit that they they messed up like and i and i've come on this cast a few times saying that i think it's going it's going to be a bumpy ride until it gets better because they openly admitted that their design has been really kind of you know messed up and they don't print answers they print these really pushed you know overly good cards for and really obvious cards for standard i mean you look at smuggler's copter that you know they just kind of went a little too far. And I think in order to swing the pendulum back a little bit, it, it's got to happen. Uh, I don't know if it's going to shake it too much only because, you know, the byproduct of that hopefully is that a, it's a better standard. So people will want to play. It's, it's obviously going to suck for the people that bought into these cards, but I mean, it happens, I guess. I mean, I'll, I'll put it at eight out of 10 it's where 10 out of 10 is they reprint the reserve list. I think it's pretty <laughs> high up there. I think you'll see social media flooded, We've already seen enough of this, like, hey, I just uh, bought Birthing Pod, and then uh, guess what happened? Or, uh, you know, when, when your decks got banned and Standard is stale, people shift to Modern. You know, if, if Standard sucks for another couple months, so be it. But if you're a Standard player, you'll come back for the next Standard. You know, your, your participation will be low in the next few months, but you'll come back. Whereas if you kind of insult the Standard players with another banning and they feel like they were wronged, then they'll just quit standard altogether. They'll not only not play this standard, but they won't play the next standard and the standard following that. And they'll move to modern, uh, frontier, whatever, or just quit magic altogether. And I think there's quite a few of those people. I think you, you need to keep the players happy. You can't kind of slap them in the face with the banning. So if, if the banning does happen, it needs to somehow come across as good. And I don't know that we'll buy the... We screwed up R&D. You know, that worked for Emrakul, but will we really buy two of them in a row? And I don't I don't know. And I, I really yeah. hope they don't do this. Like, I disagreed with the first banning. So naturally, I have to disagree with the second banning <laughs> to be consistent. And I, I don't know. I think people will be upset. And in this day and age with social media, I think the upset people will bubble to the top and it'll be quite pronounced. But So yeah. Richard, though, do you... I know you hope they don't do it and don't think they should, but is do you predict that they won't too, or or do you have a legitimate fear that they might actually do it? I think they're gonna do it <laughs> because <laughs> the narrative is still the same, right? Oh, wow, Mardu vehicles in Sahili and Black Green. So the fact that they did it the first time around kind of means to me that they'll do it the second time around. So I think they're gonna do it, but who knows? Maybe maybe, maybe they see that it's 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 too heavy handed and they'll just back off, but. It seems like they're they're desperate, but maybe Modern Masters hype will kind of just wash all that over, and then no one will care. So <laughs> maybe that's the plan. I, I don't know. I, I'm leaning towards they do something too. So and what do you think of, goes if they they actually do? I something? I think they do similar to what they did the first time. They just they nail like one card from the top three decks. If I had to choose, and I. I mean, I like the car, and I wouldn't want to see a band, but it's like Winding Constrictor, uh, Felidar Guardian, and they will ban Heart of Kieran. Gideon. <laughs> Gideon. I agree, but I want to see Gideon instead. Oh, Gideon. Yeah, Gideon. Yeah, Ether maybe Revolt Gideon. is You're no right. longer legal and standard. No, yeah, maybe Gideon, just to maybe not have that storyline. <laughs> oh, I... I have a deck tech that's coming out later this week from the very first Pro Tour deck, and that was with Fallen Empires and Homelands, and when yeah, they had just the rule where you had to play five of each card, like, 
could something like that be a good idea? Like forcing players to play cards from each set because we really are flooded with the yeah the Kaladesh block really is dominating the format with a you, little bit of the older yeah. sets thrown in. You mentioned that actually it was like a little bit of a topic. I think this was maybe two weeks ago and we like basically brushed on the topic. I would love New York style to come back. I think you're onto something there when they had New York style and you have to, because I remember reading Brian David Marshall's article when we talked about this for the goal fishing and they were like, well, how do, how do we incorporate homelands? Like homelands was really bad, but you had to do it anyway. Like people started picking up. Um, I think the one that they talked about was autumn willow and it actually turned up really good, but no one would have played it if they didn't have to play homeland. Right. Yeah. Like they ended up saying, and then there was that other, it was like a six mana. Uh, I don't know. It was like, a. I don't know. I, I remember, forget the card. It was like a six mana something. It's like a soldier or something. And they ended up playing it and actually was really, it ended up playing really well. But again, it was just another card that they wouldn't play because they weren't forced to f- play homeland. I, I don't think that it would fix anything. And I think it would actually damage the reputation more because you're basically going to start playing you know, pitches the force of will type cards, like stuff you'll discard to loot with, stuff that <laughs> cycles, it doesn't have an impact. And then when people ask you, hey, why is this card in your deck? You're going to say, this was the least bad Homelands card, or I have to put it in here because it's Homelands, but don't worry, I can cycle it away. Like, yeah, And that just kind of builds the narrative of R&D failing. Whereas if you just didn't include the cards at all, like it's just not mentioned, like out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> So the fact that you actively put bad cards in your deck and have to explain away why it's bad is probably a net negative for Wizards. And players will get around it. You know, you'll see cards like Faithless Looting, you know, increase in value a lot because suddenly your two crappy Amonkhet cards can now be looted away to hopefully draw two good cards, right? So, yeah. so I don't the, know that it would thing- fix anything. The thing is, though, we were kind of getting that at some point. Now, I remember, like, even you know, Innistrad, RTR standard, like you were getting a pretty good blend of all these cards. The one side, like bad side effect. And again, I like the two block cadence, but the one issue with it is that each of these blocks is like totally enclosed. Like they don't really play well with other sets. Like they're like, you get the, the blocks like mechanics and they work really well within that block. But if it turns out another block is just so much more powerful than it. And in this case, like Aether Revolt and Kaladesh, uh, it just totally invalidates the other blocks. Like it's just way better than the other blocks. It's and you don't need those blocks anymore. It's really interesting because it almost is a rotation in some ways. Like right, it's not a right. rotation, but you print all this colorless matter stuff, and then you just stop printing colorless support cards and Eldrazi like sort of rotate from standard because you don't have the pain lands anymore. You don't have the stuff to support them. So it'll be interesting to see once Amoncat and especially Hour of Devastation is out. If this happens again and if uh, the copycat decks and these energy decks that are very um, Ether Revolt and Kaladesh centric, if they kind of just disappear for whatever the most powerful mechanic or cards are in Hour of Devastation in Amonkhet, or if the Kaladesh decks actually have staying power to uh, remain at the top of the format. Right. And this is part of the design uh, failure that we're seeing here. Or, I mean, I guess not total failure, but if, and, th- and we actually did talk about this, that like, if it was if the if all these blocks were in kind of an equal power level, it's just that one of these is making the others obsolete. Like if if the Eldrazi list from Battle for Zendikar was still around and it was strong enough, I don't think it would be that much of an issue. But the problem is, is again, Kaladesh or let's just say a, a, for a little while, uh, Shadows over Innistrad th- that block just totally obsolete is is so much better than the block previously that it just makes it obsolete because everyone was playing spirits and uh, 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 delirium. No one played like Eldrazi or any of, or allies or anything like that. They just played Gideon. Like that card was just only good enough to see play out of that whole block. If we had the Eldrazi or if there was a viable allies list that could still contend with some of these decks, then I don't think we'd be having this problem. 
And I just wonder, I guess, also how much of it's just variants. Like, Battle for Zendikar, honestly, even I think admittedly by Mero at this point, was just not yeah. a great block as far as power level. And you combine that with some pretty parasitic mechanics. Like, energy kind of only plays Kaladesh cards because they're, that's the only set and block in the history of Magic that has that resource. So it kind of naturally lends itself to not playing cards from under block. So I wonder if this is one of those perfect storm things and maybe as more blocks come out it goes back to kind of how it was where blocks interact with each other better and this is just kind of a a bit of bad running as far as standards concerned because of the low power level of bfc combined with these parasitic mechanics yeah because clearly delirium is still good enough because that interacts with anything but you're right when you have certain parasitic mechanics like energy you're you're not going to find anything else that supports energy because that's only conducive to kaladesh so i don't know i guess the eldrazi weren't good enough to continue on contending with these new cards and these vehicles and the delirium cards that it just only falls back on gideon so it might i don't know maybe that is ban worthy right <laughs> if this is the only card from from uh battle for zendikar that people were playing then it must be really good and it is too good. I don't know. I, I do think if, if we're going to see a banning, uh, that's, that's what we're going to see. All right. Uh, moving on to the uh, MTGO Championship. Now, admittedly, I didn't follow this as much as uh, you, Seth. And I think to a lesser extent, you, Richard, did you kind of follow this at all? Uh, I saw the the posts on Twitter, and then I didn't. Okay. It didn't excite me to watch. <laughs> right. So this is all on you, Seth. So what what did you want to talk about? Uh, okay. So uh, Magic Online Championship is supposed to be a pretty big deal. It's a high value tournament. Not quite pro tour level, but it's it's pretty close to Worlds or something, where it's a very small group of players playing for a lot of prize money, and. While I really appreciate the coverage, they had great commentators, uh, they had lots of pros in and Patrick Sullivan and Reed Duke, and they did this like vintage Super League style of coverage. So I really appreciate the effort they put into the aspect of coverage. The whole thing just felt like Wizards really didn't care. Uh, there were... Uh, <laughs> They apparently it was supposed to be legacy modern standard and draft. And the rumor is they cut legacy and modern because there were too many bugs in those formats that they didn't feel comfortable having them be uh, on camera. They also had sideboarding bugs that happened during the gameplay where players would have to restart the match because of moto errors and just overall it didn't feel like wizards really cared that much about this event, which is a little unfortunate. If Wizards is going to be an eSport, the way they can do that is by making Magic Online be a legitimate way of playing tournaments and covering tournaments like Hearthstone does, like a lot of these other games do. And I just didn't really see that with this event. So I was pretty disappointed in it, even though I really appreciate the effort they put into coverage and the people doing coverage were great. But I just came away with this feeling that Wizards kind of treated this like a second rate event, even though it should be like like the World Championship type of event where it's this extremely high value event with a ton of the best players in the world. Yeah, they definitely phoned it in it. It should have been kind of the fifth event of the year after the Pro Tours Worlds, like the Magic Online Championships. If you're going to put all your Platinum Pros there, you might as well have made a big production out of it. And I felt they really phoned it in because they thought, oh, it's digital and no one cares. Uh, like, are you kidding me? Like, it was, I, I saw pictures. It's literally them sitting at cubicles at Watsi headquarters playing the game. Like, they could have just put up their Pro Tour set. You know, get those hedrons out, whatever. You know, make the table, put the table cloth on that has the planeswalker symbol. They didn't even go to that length. It was literally like a white table. They probably took someone's cubicle desk and sat down two pros and had them play. <laughs> and I don't know, like, what they're thinking. Like, newsflash Hearthstone is a digital game. You play on a laptop or a tablet or whatever and just look at their championships, right? Like, you can add some production value here. And it was just, I don't know, Wizards just didn't put the effort in. And I don't know 
what the point of this tournament is. They branded it as a qualification for worlds, which was pretty interesting instead of, you know, the Magic Online, one of your big pillars of the game championship. And I, I don't know. They're, they're just not putting the resources into it. And when you watch this, it kind of just makes you laugh every time you see the word esports and magic, right? Like this is literally your digital product. The E stands for electronic and yet this is like the effort you put into it so so i don't know negative richard has come back (laughs) this is very this is very disappointing (laughs) there there was a a big post on reddit about this and uh, the thing that really got to me is people were talking about and there's some great parts of it and something that someone brought up was just uh, the way they did commentary was like vsl so you just kind of have people on whatever microphone they stream in or use for like doing that sitting in their the most presentable room in their, in their house. house yeah yeah and <laughs> and people brought this up and the people that actually uh did the coverage basically said there wasn't enough budget to get people real microphones or to have a backdrop behind them when they were doing coverage and i was like oh that's in the grand scheme of a game that makes hundreds of millions of dollars, if you can't spring for real microphones for one of your premier events, that yeah. I don't know how you can say you're a top five esport with anywhere near a straight face. I mean, what what are we talking about? A couple hundred dollars for some posters and, a, and some mics? <laughs> they should have just flown them all to Watsy headquarters, had an actual professional booth with an actual backdrop. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't rely on like what's sitting. You know, which, which room in Reed Duke's house looks most presenting, right? Like, what, like, what, like, what, like, why? And, like, the real question is, why are we even seeing the commentators' faces? Like, we're watching a match of magic, but we're watching two commentators. Right. Instead of the actual two players. It's like, we're watching people watch the match, which is just so (laughs) strange. Where's the built out fireplace in the background with the table in front of it? Yes. Like, where? See, it's like uh, because it's like, like one company understands power. production value, right? Like right. it's kind of it's, throughout yeah. the entire product, right? Like one, one, you know, the actual game itself, it's kind of as bare bones as you get. It's like if engineers built it, you know, functional doesn't look pretty. You know, get get the arts people out of here, get the marketing people out of here. We don't need them. We'll just get engineers and and do this. And it kind of is reflected in their production as well. Like basically. Can you see stuff? Like, just get one camera, and as long as you can see and hear stuff, it's good enough. Forget, you know, the quality of it. <laughs> I think you nailed it on the head there, Richard. It's it's an e-sport. Like, that's the commitment, and that's the production value you have to have every time if you're going to be taken seriously. Just like, imagine it, watching just, the NFL through, like, a, a cell phone yeah. camera from, like, no, just, the, third, it would be like, the third story bleachers. Right. Like, that's yeah, really moto. It's... it's <laughs> It would be like watching an NFL game through Chris Collins where it's like living room. No, it's, it's exactly like when when people post highlights and it's them like filming yeah. their TV. <laughs> they're sitting on the couch and they're like filming their TV of the football highlight. That's yeah, it. that's exactly what it's like. Yeah, I mean, Ugh. it's it's like we take a step forward and then we take a step back. And uh, maybe that'll keep happening once, you know, things have to kind of move along. But I don't know. If you're telling me, like I said, I clearly it wasn't pushed enough because I didn't even have enough like, oh, this is definitely going on. Like, this is something that's super hyped. But you barely heard anything about it. And then it would be even worse if you turn it on. You're like, what is this? Yeah, I just don't know why if you're going to put that much effort into getting Platinums there and going to have one of the biggest prize pools of a Magic tournament that you would put on that kind of coverage for it. Like the whole thing just doesn't make sense. Like why spend that much money uh, for the whole tournament? If you're not going to give it like first class coverage or at least do the best you can, nothing against the people doing coverage. Cause they were great, but it just felt like they didn't have the support from wizards to really make it a great event. They should just cut the yep. prize pool in half and put that towards production. Like they they need to really in you know and, and that's not even gonna work. You can't just throw money at the problem. You need time, experience, resources, and stuff. But they need to at least make the effort. They need to make the effort now so that next year, uh, you know, it, it actually looks legitimate. <laughs> because at, at this rate, it's gonna look exactly the same next year and the year after and the year after. And you know, esports is still pretty young, right? So by then, all the other esports would have grown tremendously and would have furthered their technology and. 
they're going to start rivaling real sports, right? And here's magic, you know, in your living room with a bunch of guys. It's like we, we, we need to kind of step up our game and, and follow along. Otherwise, we're just going to be left behind. Agreed. Um, either of you have a goldfishing because I have a tinfoil goldfish. All right. Let's see your tinfoil goldfish. All right. So, and this was actually sparked because of you, Richard. So I'm putting on the tinfoil hat here. Is Hellrider being printed in Modern Masters 2017? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Does that give any credence to that they think this card is good enough to be played in Modern? <laughs> no. Like, I'm, it's a Modern Master now. Hellrider has now solidified its spot in a Modern Masters set. I don't know anyone I think this card was be building a deck, and they're like, oh, I can't afford these Hellriders. <laughs> I'm holding back hey, my Tier 1 Modern deck. Sometimes, you know, the $4 is the breaking point. <laughs> Couldn't you make that argument about any card in to be fair, Masters? To be fair, and this is, this is egregious, and I, I should be ashamed of myself. I did not know. Wait, I forgot Call of the Herd was in Modern. Like legal and modern. I had no. I totally forgot it was time shifted. Time shifted. Yeah. Why I, is that a rare? That's that's my question. Do you I, really I think need they, the hill giant to be a rare? <laughs> it two makes two hill, hill giants. giants. You get two hill giants. It's, you get a discount uh, it's like Victory on one. Souls, man. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I think they left it as a rare only because it, it was that good during standard. I mean, it really was. It was a super awesome good card. Like everyone was playing Call of the Herd. <laughs> Now, now it's not even playable. Madness, <laughs> yeah, you could discard it. Yeah, madness. Yeah, yeah. Now it's unplayable. I don't know. Just food for thought. You know, some of these cards. You know, you ha- I, I understand that the limited aspect is in there, but you know, maybe maybe mind shatters better than maybe mind shatters <laughs> should be the end <laughs> the the end curve for discard decks. Man, it's so amazing how much. One mana ruins a mind twist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've tried that before, and it just some of these, though, and maybe, be, yeah, and maybe because they're in front of me again. But like, Desecration Demon's a pretty good card. I mean, is that really that bad for modern or for standard? I mean, some of, I mean, for modern, I mean, it was that good in standard. But like, some of these cards like just get forgotten. But they were that good. I mean, everyone was playing this card. Like, how can it be that bad? uh, I think, like, a lot of these cards that you see, they don't show up in Modern because they have, like, one one fatal flaw. And I think for Desecration Demon, it's something like Lingering Souls, where it's just so easy to essentially chump your four-mana play by sacking tokens or literally chumping with the tokens. So, I don't know. It definitely is cool with these sets, though. And this happens to me all the time playing momir like it does bring back cards that you forgot about or maybe you've never even seen before if you're relatively new to magic and it makes you want to build decks like boros records yeah. a sweet card like there's a lot of cards in right? this set that like it look like they're fun to play like i'm really hoping venser gets down to like five dollars because oh man i love venser so much uh, and i can never uh, play it anywhere because it's too expensive uh shaper savant right Bounce yeah, back. I mean that's a that's a card that I always felt was I I just it was a great card even in standard, and it's still a good card. But maybe you're right. Maybe just it was just randomly like what was it like ten bucks? I think it was even bucks. more like fifteen. Yeah, twelve. Yeah, twelve to fifteen bucks, and like people are like, I oh, I don't really want to play it. Maybe now that it's like three or five, three to five bucks, people are like, you know what, this card's actually pretty good. Yeah, I think that's that's why the set is so hyped. I think. Almost yeah. every card is good, and you could have probably called this Commander Masters or something, and it would have worked. Like, if it's not modern playable, it's probably Commander playable. Like every card in this set. Sticking on Goldfish, is there one specific card that you are totally enamored? Popper Rarity. Like, I have to play. I have to try this out now that. It's- uh, for Popper, the new Popper yeah. cards. Yeah. Oh man. I- I'm not a huge popper player, but I think it's got to be Burning Tree Emissary. Like, that's a really mm-hmm. new and unique effect, and that's probably an obvious answer, but I think that's clearly the most powerful. For me personally, it might be Mortician Beetle, though, just because I love Aristocrat-style decks, and I think that that uh, could really enable Aristocrats being a legitimate popper strategy. Thunderous Wrath, because we need more <laughs> We need more RNG. <laughs> we, we, we need the miracles. Yeah. 
<laughs> it, feels, it feels like a Hearthstone card. It really does. All right, fair enough. Yeah, that was my goal fishing. I, I just thought, you know, maybe. I got we'll I got see. gear hulked in modern. <laughs> you did you got gear hulked in modern? Oh, it was pretty sweet. So I played modern oh. at F and M for the first time in like three months. I was so rusty. I uh, I tried a Coligan's command to suspended Lotus Bloom. Uh, we'll, we'll forget about that. <laughs> but uh, it was a it was a mystical teachings deck with gear hulks. And let me tell you, Torrential Gear Hulk is a scary card in Modern where you attack with a Goyf and your Goyf might just get eaten by a flashed-in Gear Hulk. So that was quite impressive. But yeah. Wow. Interesting. I was hoping you were going to say the white one. Because oh, if you no. got, got by the oh. Gear Hulk in Modern, that would... Or the red one. <laughs> no, just like Fatal Push, Gear Hulk, Fatal Push. You know, so it's like Fatal Push, Snapcaster, Fatal Push, Mystical Teachings. Wow. And then, you know, Gear Hulk, Path, whatever. Like, Gear Hulk's actually quite a legitimate finisher. The The only oh, saving oh grace is it gets hit by Coligan's Command in Ancient Grudge. So you can actually deal with that big 5-6. Now, I've been uh, drafting uh, IPA, Invasion, Plane Shift, Apocalypse, which is one of my all-time favorite sets. And the mention of Gear Hulks, now I really want to build a Draco Red Gear Hulk deck. Because <laughs> 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 Draco with a Red Gear Hulk seems pretty sweet. That would be pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, just really quick before we move to fish mail, are either of you interested in the Switch? I know this is like just totally random, not magic. Why are you trying to sell a Switch here? What's going on? No, no. I'm I'm wondering if I should get it because they're offering a really good deal at GameStop, so I can like trade in the Wii U. But no, they're all sold out, and then the the deal's gonna end, and I'm like, can you just trade it in? And if you don't want it, just sell it back at like above retail. Because they're currently, like, super hot, right? No, they they're, everything's sold out. No one has the Switch. But that's what I mean. So if you actually tr- are able to trade it, trade it and get one, shouldn't you just do it and sell it back if you don't want it? Yeah, but the problem is if they're sold out, like, you, you can't... They have to scan the S, the, the SKU, so you can't... Like, that, that has to be all part of one transaction. If they don't have it in stock, I can't trade for it. Oh, then what is your question? If you can't acquire a Switch, <laughs> what are no, we trying saying, to accomplish? are you, should I, should I, to do that? How much do you like Zelda? <laughs> I guess that's the uh, question. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I, from what I heard, everybody loves it, so. It is supposed to be really good. Can you play Magic on it? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I don't even think Duels is on there, so. Just save your money and download Chandler and play that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, fish mail. Let's do it. All right. So if you have any questions, you can tweet at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get you to your questions on air. First question, at T Laser, opinions on Wizards putting cards designed for EDH and regular sets versus EDH players just using cards as they come. This is a weird question because I think Wizards pretty clearly does put cards for EDH and regular sets. If you're meaning like, uh, when this is in your command zone, do this or that, then I think that would be pretty awkward in standard sets. But I think Wizards does print cards with EDH as the primary target in standard sets pretty regularly. Yeah, I think Wizards puts all kinds of cards in every set, like cards for the Spike, the Johnny, the casual player. Uh, but I don't think, like Seth said, they should ever put cards that reference more than one player or the command zone uh, in in standard. I guess, like, all your opponents are okay, but, you know, stuff that counts the number of players. Uh, but you can see that with the life total things, right? Now they have the mechanic where uh, if you have 20 more life than your starting life total, as opposed to saying just like 40 life or whatever. So they do have commander in mind when they make cards. But I'd like to see the specific multiplayer mechanics just kept in the EDH sets. Because otherwise it's just really weird when you're playing 1v1 standard to have these cards. Uh, next question, at K Freeman, when's the best time to buy Modern Masters 3 legacy playable foils like Snappy, Venser, and Fetches? Well, normally I would say right at release because, well, but the foils actually makes it a little interesting. I do think they should be at the lowest point like within the first few months, just like regular non-foil singles is probably the best time to grab them. Uh, because I just don't see the foil shifting that much at even after release. So you, you're probably just going to take your best chance. You might want to wait a little bit longer, but I still think early on is probably the best point that you'll find a deal. 
Yeah, I've been looking at some of the old price charts, and for a lot of the cards from Past Masters Editions in foil, for chase cards, it seems like they start off fairly low, kind of decline for six months, sometimes a little more than six months, and then is uh, when you start to see a big recovery for some cards. So I think it's actually somewhat similar to normal cards as far as time frame. Like, if you buy within, you know, a month after set release, up to six months or so after set release, usually that's a pretty safe window where you're going to get in near the floor on those cards. All right, next question from John Hopsey. Thoughts on unbanning Reflector Mage. Would UW Flash become dominant again? I miss Panharmonicon. Oh, just play Panharmonicon still. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need no Reflector Mage. <laughs> you don't need no Reflector Mage. I don't think... Uh... I don't I, think that Wizards should be unbanning cards that yeah. they just banned in Standard. Like, it, it's... Bannings are bad. Unbannings are also bad. It's just too much chaos, and I think we need to avoid that as much as possible, even though I'm afraid that's not what's going to happen based on what we were talking about yeah. earlier. So no I, Emerfell I think coming once... back? No. <laughs> <laughs> but we got Guardian think... to win on turn four. Who cares about turn six? <laughs> Go ahead, Jazz. Well, I was just going to say, the problem is, is like, at what point did the cards just rotate, right? Like, there's always that aspect, too. I think once a card's banned, I think the the consensus is going to stay banned. I don't see them unbanning these cards. All right, next question from at Streakus. If high EV increases product sales and modern playability increases EV, doesn't killing modern hurt standard sales? Do you guys understand the question? <laughs> Uh, I think, I think the gist my- of it is a lot of people say, uh, I don't care about modern. They can kill modern. I'm a standard player. But I think this comment is saying the fact that your standard cards are worth something uh, is tied to the fact that modern exists and that you can play your cards post-rotation. So doesn't killing modern hurt standard? Yes and no. I mean, people are going to stay playing standard. I mean, there's plenty of cards that we've seen in past history that don't have the value uh, propped up by modern either. I mean, we're, we see like the standard all-stars and then once they rotate, they're they're pretty much worth nothing anyway. And they weren't worth anything because of modern. Like Baneslayer wasn't $35, $40 because of modern or extended for that matter. But for me, I think it's not so much about the individual cards as the fact that if you're going to spend $100 on a booster box, knowing that, or even the idea that, even if it's not necessarily true, that those cards are going to be playable and you're going to get some value out of them for longer than until the next standard rotation. I think that is a a justification for spending a lot of money on magic cards, th- that they have some amount of longevity to them. So not having a modern format to play those cards in, I think it does hurt standard by association because i'm less likely to spend a hundred dollars on a box if i only get six months out of those cards than if i get six years out of those cards yeah like a card like fatal push if modern didn't exist wouldn't be as expensive like the reason why it's so expensive because everyone knows it's modern and legacy playable and if you don't have cards that are that expensive then you can no longer justify selling a pack for 3.99 so it kind of is all related so you can't just kill these older formats uh, because it will trickle down to standard. Uh, so, you know, the fact that these formats exist, prop up the value of your cards, which then justify the fact that you can sell a booster box for $100 and a pack for $4. Next yeah. question. Gustav McHaggis. Will the reprint of Damnation and Fetchlands affect uh, modern prices and meta opinions? Well, if anything, Richard, you're a prime example of someone not buying damnation just because dollars. Yeah, but I, so, would, I don't even know if that would even play it, and I don't know no, that it would affect right, the meta. Right. I think the, no, the I fast lands, the the fast lands from was it Ether Revolt or Kaladesh, the the ones they just reprinted recently, will have much more yeah, impact no. than uh you know the fetch lands and damnation because currently, if you wanted to play them, you can actually just buy those cards, and if you didn't, there's cheap substitutes. So I don't know that it would shift things dramatically. Yeah, I think the thing is the fetch lands are still not going to be that cheap. So if you're someone that's budget conscious, you're 
probably still going to try to play cons fetches, even if it's a little less than optimal, because getting them for $10 or $15 is still way better than a $30 or $40 Modern Masters 2017 fetch. Yeah, I still only have I, one Verdant Catacombs in my Jund deck. <laughs> I don't think there'll be $35, $40. I mean, there'll be more than the cons fetches, but I don't. I just can't see them maintaining over 40 bucks. What do you I think, think the, the fetches lowest will drop be, to? I think they'll be between 25 and 30 at least for a while. Oh, that's, still so, that's still 120 for a Yeah, it is, it is a lot, but you know, I, I guess if you want that percentage point. I expect Catacombs and Scalding Tarn to stay above 30, 35 to 40, I think. You think so? Catacombs think, had that one other printing, though, didn't it? I think it was Windswept. It was in a, I don't know. It was in a like a dual deck or something? No, no, it was in a one of those. Um, oh man, what's the one they discontinued? Event deck. Yeah, that's it. I don't think Catacombs was. I think it was. I think it was the black white one, right? If anything, wasn't the event deck like black white tokens? No, the think... event deck. The event deck was flats, but I know Catacombs was in something other than just the pack. Well, Catacombs has always been expensive. <laughs> That's yeah. why I only have... I had two. I lost Maybe one. I'm remembering that wrong. And <laughs> I think I'm going to have one for the foreseeable future. How do you <laughs> the fetch, Richard? I, have, I, I must have fetched it and threw it in the garbage. <laughs> Crack a fetch, <laughs> throw it in the garbage. Losing one fetch? How about losing an entire playset of Noble Hierarch? I just gone. Hey, like, at least you lost them all. What if you like just found your playset, but there's only two? You're like, what happened to the <laughs> no, other two? I'm, they, they, I'm not holding out any hope. Because that that's fine. what I did with my Vernon Catacombs. No I was like, what happened to the other one? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're gone. They've been gone. Uh, next question from at Flying Zebro. You three play a team open. Who plays standard, modern, and legacy, and what decks do you play? Oh, man. I love this question since I saw it. It's a great question. Um, I think Richard has to play Legacy. Yeah, I guess I'll play Legacy and I'll play Black White Stoneblade because I like him to yeah. talk. I'm gonna play Modern and play Affinity, and Seth, it's up to me and you, Richard, because I don't know if uh, well, I thought Seth seven, was gonna play five, Modern and play Infect. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! When did that no. happen? <laughs> well, if if you guys are going to make me play standard, I'm playing something janky. Probably See, that's what I'm saying. Engine, so <laughs> it's up to you and me, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> no, Seth. I, actually, so you wouldn't just play like a Mardu vehicles? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a bad question. Yeah, I should have I, I uh, knew immediately as it came out. Of- I I would rather go zero and fifteen through the oh. course of the GP and play a deck that I enjoy than go fifteen and zero with Marty vehicles. All right, Jeskai Sahili has blue in it, so all right, I can I could deal with a Sahili deck. Right, Four okay. color Jeskai, one of those. Okay, we got it. All right, next question from <laughs> at Gangsta MTG to keep formats fresh at FNM. How about extra prizes based on bucking the meta, lesser color combos, themes, etc. I think that'd be cool. Um, I think, yeah, that would be. I mean, it's up to every store owner, so they could already do it, can't they? Not to the actual winner, but I think just, like, weird participation prizes. Like, if you come with, I don't know, let's say you, <laughs> it's modern night and you come with a standard deck, you get you get a free promo <laughs> or something, right? Like, yeah. not not to the winners, because once you incentivize winning, then it yeah. warps things. But if you incentivize having fun and having a good time, I think it can make pretty interesting stuff. That's inter- I mean, they already have the power to do that, right? Like, they don't yeah. need any... You just do it. I mean, you kind of see this in Vintage, where they give a prize yeah. to whoever does best without Power 9 cards in their deck at a lot of the big Vintage tournaments. So I think you could do some interesting things like that that would be fun. I think it's a good idea. You know how they used to have those checklists at pre-release? I think they they did away with it, but you used to have to accomplish things. Yes. Yes. If they could they somehow actually formalize that and give you like a full art lightning bolt at the end, <laughs> like I think people would actually do it. All right. Next question. Master Watcher. Uh, what do you think is the best tricolor wedge in modern? Follow up. What is your favorite tricolor wedge? What's a uh, wedge? <laughs> what, the, like Abzan. Um, okay. You know, so the, con- the, cons, the cons ones. Oh, so not including the, the shards then. This is just cons. Uh, Wait, the wedge wedges all all of them aren't they? Didn't they all used to be wedges? I don't know. Like they call, shards. usually call shards shards. They usually call shards. I think. 
Well, regardless, if it's just the cons one, probably Abzan is the best, I would say. Yeah. Grixis is a shard, right? Grixis is from shards, yeah. yeah so, All right, I, so yeah, it's Abzan, Jeskai, Sultai, Mardu. Oh, yeah, there's only it's one. The, it's the wedge. The only playable one is Abzan, apparently. I say Abzan, and my favorite one is Abzan. Jeskai's my favorite, but I think Abzan is the best out of those. Yeah, <sighs> Abzan's my favorite, too. It, it, it has Thoughtseize and it has Goyf. I can't. I can't yeah. go away from that. Thoughtseize, Goyf, Rhino, Grimflare. Like, it has all the nice stuff. IOK, Path. All right, last question from Ben S. I'm going overseas for a year to teach English in China, and there are, are a few magic stores in the city. I've been playing mostly online, been thinking of getting out of the paper game at least for a while, thus I'm selling my paper collection. Uh, should I sell my collection here in North America, or are English cards in foreign markets perhaps worth more? So, are English yeah. cards worth more in foreign markets? Which I guess the 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 parallel is like foreign foils and stuff are worth more here, like foreign Japanese cards and Russian cards and stuff like that. Is the opposite true in foreign markets? <sighs> I I've never heard anything like that, but if I'm wrong, that's fine. But I haven't heard, at least recently, that you know it's the other way around. I think when it comes down to it, it's all just a supply thing. And the reason Japanese cards are more expensive or Russian cards are more expensive, especially the foils, is they're just way rarer than the English versions. And in theory, the English versions are going to be the most common regardless of what country you're in. So I don't think it's going to make a difference. I don't think you're going to get more money. It's not like uh, it's not like we want the foreign language cards because the language necessarily for most people, it's because they're the rarest version, almost like promos or something, how people collect those. Yeah. Now I think you should get a pretty good deal on modern cards, like cards that aren't recent uh, because there's that supply issue there, at least in Japan, I think uh, when it comes to those cards. So you should get a pretty good deal there, regardless if it's English. Yeah. And for the, the example of uh, supply, if you look at, I think it's Legends, the Italian print run was much greater than the English print run. So if you get a Krakus, the Italian Krakus is actually much cheaper here than the normal English Krakus uh, because the print run was so much greater for the foreign version. That is all of our fish meal for this week. So thank you, everyone, for sending Sweet. the meat. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Um, gentlemen, I, I think that's it. Uh, great cast. Uh, we will... Uh, talk more next week uh after the the announcement and uh yeah we'll see i can't wait for amonkhet stuff to start not that like modern masters is not hype but we're done. My, spoilers oh were released God. we're done with the set move on yeah we're, it's over <laughs> anyone get to play or buy cards nope we're, we're done <laughs> amonkhet please <laughs> yeah it's it's over but no uh yeah so enjoy uh i think it's gonna be honestly it's just really a great success for everyone um all around but, um, yeah, gentlemen, we'll do this next week. This is going to be the Goldfish Crew signing out. Uh, we will see you all next time. 